Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for September has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. I am honored this week to be joined once again by David Wayne. He's a writer, director, actor, and he has credits including The State, the comedy troupe Stella, The Daily Show, Children's Hospital, uh, movies. Uh, uh, just uh, you've been everywhere. It, the list is endless and exhausting. It really is and exhaustive. It, like, <laughs> I, it really, honestly, is. There have been. I I don't know. I I look up. I spend a lot of time on IMDb. Yeah, me too. And some of the most talented, but if I can say this, you're under recognized. Thank you. But some of these most talented, underrecognized people have the longest list. They work way harder than some of the people who just seem to have everything handed to them. Well, yeah. I mean, everyone's. I, I actually have spent some time looking at the arc of certain people's careers just because I find it interesting, you know, and it's interesting to see how they built to a certain place and the choices you make when you get to a, a certain plateau and then when do people start to lose it or when, do, when, you know, when they fall out of favor or you know, what choices. It's, it's all fascinating to me. But uh, certainly when you're not um, cranking out huge jackbox hitting hits, you have to work hard and plant a lot of seeds. And uh, a lot of why I'm so busy doing so many things has more to do with the fact that I've tried and to instigate so many projects and they all take so long to germinate. And so when they finally do harvest, I sort of have to follow up on them, even if I don't <laughs> have time. <laughs> I, we, we work in very different industries, but I know that feeling. I think it's definitely well. true in, in your industry and in a lot of industries too. Like anything that involves being something of an entrepreneur or a one-man shop where you're trying to do different things and you can never control the external timing of when the marketplace is ready for your thing or when somebody's going to say yes to financing or when the audience is ready or whatever. When some, in exactly. my, at my end, when you know, I might pitch something years before it finally comes through and then everything, four things come through at once and et cetera. So do you think that if Tarantino had pitched Dust Till Dawn to George Clooney today, that George Clooney would have done it? Oh, that's a good question. I, I don't Not know. Not really. But. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either of them, but uh, I suppose uh, no. That would be my I was, guess. I, I, just, I, I flipped on Dust Till Dawn last night and had totally forgotten that it was George Clooney. Right. I did too. Really? It was? Yeah, it was. And Harvey Keitel, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Tarantino himself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes that big turn in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, no spoilers. No spoilers. So anyway, you had a you had a recent movie that I loved. I don't know. I have no idea what box office was on it, and I don't really care Good. because um, <laughs> because they came together. The cast is outstanding. The writing was awesome. Thank and you. It it was it was a uh, what's the word a satire? Yeah, it, it, satire. it was it was a lampooning of of romantic comedies. You know, it's so funny. We made the movie and we kept the, the word spoof has so many connotations. We were worried about using the word spoof, but then we realized at a certain point you have to embrace it. That is what it is. Even though there's been so many terrible spoof movies, 
Yeah. Um, our goal was to make a good one, and that's that was what we set out to do. So, I mean, basically, this movie hits every possible cliche from right. romantic comedies, from the rom-com genre. That's it. What kind of research did you have to do for that? Uh, 45 years of watching romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we started uh, very young, <laughs> and yeah, I just M- Michael Showalter and I just really genuinely love the genre, and we from early on in our friendship, uh, when we met when we were eighteen, nineteen years old, we just often talked about those movies and broke down all the tropes and all the formulas, and both in making fun of it in a certain way or talking about the bad ones or the more formulaic ones, and and loving the really amazing ones and. It was just always a topic we were interested in, and so it was a natural area for us to go in to make a movie that was you know, our version of a rom-com or our take on the rom-com. I don't think there's anything natural about <laughs> two 18, 19-year-old guys analyzing romantic comedies, <laughs> but I appreciate that about you. Well, Michael and I – Michael sw- switched from NYU to Brown University after his freshman year, and so – and then I, I went to – oh, this is so boring. Basically, <laughs> we used to drive back and forth from Rhode Island to New York a lot, and we would talk about you know, trivia about a Saturday Night Live and you know, genre deconstruction and stuff like that a lot. Wow. It was uh, – the movie was – seriously, like there were even tiny little things like gestures as a character walked off screen. Uh-huh. That I recognize from the the rom coms that I've had to sit through. Well, I'm glad you noticed those things. Uh, to, to me, one my, some of my favorite things in that are those very quiet little nods, or you know, and a lot of them are not even jokes on it. They're just doing it, you know. Yeah, and I think They're, that's something I love. And in too. context, it becomes a joke. Exactly, exactly, and and, and we've done that in in from Wet Hot American Summer and all the way out. With, a lot of the time, the joke is literally just that we're doing that kind of cliche thing and it's in our movie and therefore it's supposed to be a joke <laughs> right is uh all right so you have news readers too yeah we're just uh finishing the editing that of that and getting the um and doing the promotions because it uh, premieres i believe in october season two season two yeah and we yeah. have a it's very it's if you if anyone saw that show it's on adult swim and it's a a fake funny news magazine show and um the first season, I think, was kind of experimenting with what it is and trying to figure it out. And the second season really hits it hard. I think it's, you know, we've upped our game a lot, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see that, too. I, uh, I, I went to great lengths. As someone who only gets Hulu and Netflix, Yeah, newsreaders does not exist for me. Oh, no. So I had to, I had to go through less than... I understand uh, legal channels. We can we but say I, no more. I get it. It is it is really well done though. Uh, the production is great on it too. At first season, yeah. Well, um, we have this guy Jim Margolis who was one of the big producers at the Daily Show, uh, who n- knows Rob Corddry from when Rob Corddry was on the Daily Show, and he came over uh, to be the main producer on it. Um, and then it's just been really fun putting this thing together. Yeah, um, I guess I don't have a ton to say about newsreaders, but it looks really cool, and I'm looking forward to the second season. It's it's um, it's it's cool. Like it, it's there's yeah, I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> so on your timeline, yes, uh, on your career timeline, yes, how sir. far back do you, 
let's say like you, Show Walter, and uh, and Michael Ian Black. How far back do you guys go? We go back to my sophomore year at NYU Film School, which was their freshman year, uh, and I met those guys when they. I, I was in a sketch comedy group at NYU called The New Group, uh, which was actually created by Mo Willems, who has gone on to be one of the top children's book authors in the world. Uh, but at the time, he was a comedy nerd at NYU, and we had this group, and the school told us that we had to start uh, – we had to bring in new members of the group in order to – stay a, a club, a recognized club in the university. And we didn't want to do that thinking that our group, um, I'm sorry, our group was called the Sterile Yak. Uh, the Sterile Yes. Um, and so, but we decided instead of letting new members into the Sterile Yak, which we didn't want to do, we allowed one of the members of our group to go off and start a new group, which would be like the junior squad of the Sterile Yak. And that group uh, was called the new group and the new group eventually turned into the state. And so it was my sophomore year that I just met all those guys who turned out to be in the state and we, uh, started working together. And, and at what point did the state get picked up? That was MTV, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, basically, um, after we graduated college soon after, um, I was doing an internship uh, at MTV, and they had seen a student film I had done and asked if I would be interested in directing segments for a series called You Wrote It, You Watch It, where the viewers would tell funny stories and then we would act them out. And um, Didn't Penthouse do something like that? Uh, I don't know. Did they? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that would be great, right? <laughs> um and so, yeah, that's what we did. So, and, and so I brought the state guys into, uh, instead of me just, I just, instead of, I, in my pitch to MTV as to how it should work, I just went off and shot and edited these pieces with the state without even being asked. And we just turned in these three segments and they were blown away that we were able to do it uh, on the ancient high eight equipment <laughs> that we had at the time. Um, really? High eight? Oh yeah. We were shooting on high eight, this like really crappy camera. Yeah. And we ended up shooting actually the that series also on on high eight. So they ended up hiring the group on mass, and we had a very cocky attitude. And we basically said, "We're going to do it our way, and you leave us alone." And and they were like, "Okay, I guess so," you know. And uh, so they were impressed with the reel of sketches that we did for that show. You wrote it, you watch it, which actually you can still see online. Um, and then we um, they they asked us if we uh, wanted to make a pilot for for our own show and that's how we got to doing the state and we were all 22 23 at the time so what happened to comedy troops on television uh where did they all go i guess did they all be did they all get to, like writer and director roles on on real like series you mean or? where did the ones go that were around then no or, or where what happened to comedy... the notion of yeah exactly i think that I would say in a weird way, there are so many more. There's probably a hundred times more sketch comedy groups out there in the world, but they all sort of, maybe they consider themselves more stepping stones to there. There is such a, a clearer path you can take. You know, you go and do stuff at UCB 
theater in New York or L.A. or Second City and that, or the Groundlings, and then you can audition to be on Saturday Night Live or you can get into one of the other shows that are on. And I guess the idea of the group itself becoming the show, yeah, it has seemed to fall out of fashion a little bit. Although there are troops that, I mean, there's the Lonely Island, those three guys. Right. But but isn't that technically like an SNL subsidiary? Not really, because they existed before and after their I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they had they they were making those videos for years actually when they were super super young, then That's they were cool. on SNL for a long time and now they're off again and they they're doing a million projects they're making a new movie right now in fact. Exciting. Um, those guys are amazing and I love them. They're I'm really impressed with what they do. Um, but yeah, I you know I'm sure that another one will come around sometime. But there there haven't been that many actual troops that pre-existed before a sketch comedy show and then got on the air. I guess there was a, sure. few, there was a spate of them at that time. There was Exit 57, and then there was uh, the UCB had a show. Right, yeah. There was a group called Vacant Lot that had a, yes. a show for And they the had lot. a Sex Pistols theme song. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You saw that. Oh, my God. I can't believe Oh, I watched all of those. That's there, how I know who you are. That's so funny. Well, there was one called Live on Tape that was on NBC for like a second. <laughs> um, and then there was, uh, there was, of course, the kids in the hall. And, kids in the hall, right? Uh, but yeah, I guess that was sort of a thing for a while. Well, you know, it depends on what you call it. Also, Key and Peel is a sketch group. It's just that it's two people. That's that is true. I don't cons- like. I don't think of it the same way I think of like UCB and the state. Yeah, it is a different thing. But but um, it, it's good though. Oh, it's I really, great. I I was just watching Key and Peel before you called. Actually, those guys are amazing, and I I you know proud to say i worked with both of them a lot before they did their show and they're just both of the funniest greatest guys ever you'll have to get them on my show too i'll take care of it (laughs) awesome (laughs) um all right so let's see you are you you get the gig with the state on mtv yeah You, you get a series tell me a little bit about life at that point and and how it moved into Stella and what happened next? Well, it was such a trip for us. You know, we were so young and we were just out of school and we, uh, and we were all just mostly suburban kids who loved comedy and fairly quickly found ourselves on MTV, which was the one channel that we all watched at the time. You know, it was just very exciting and heady and we got to go to work and do this crazy fun job of making sketches and we worked you know, we had a great team around it, but we largely worked in a vacuum. And I think, unlike a lot of other people in comedy, we didn't have, we weren't coming out of the UCB or any other institution. And we didn't have any mentors, really, except each other. We really learned from each other. Um, for listeners' sake, I'm going to insert that UCB stands for Upstanding Citizens Brigade. Upright Citizens Brigade, right. Upright, yeah. I'm sorry. And, upright, yeah. and that's, that's a group, uh, four people, one of whom is Amy Poehler and one of whom is Matt Walsh, who... Um, they founded a theaters in New York and LA that have become like the center point of m- much of comedy right now, um, uh, where they do schools and programs and shows and everything. Anyway, so we, and there was none of that then there was no, there was also no YouTube and there was no, there was very much, much, much less outlet for anything like this that we're doing. It wasn't, you know, the fact that we were running around with our own video cameras and making little s- sketches, little three, four minute sketches, was uh, more unusual than it is today. You know, there was no internet at all for us to do this on. Um, so I guess, you know, the state 
went on until about 1996. And we, in a move of some hubris, uh, left MTV and went on to try to do a show at CBS. And that was supposed to be a series of four specials that then was to then turn into a series. But after the first special, the ratings were horrible and it kind of all went down in flames. Um, And we tried a bunch of other projects. We made a record, which took 10 years to come out. We made a book that did come out. We made a, uh, we developed some movie ideas, which never went anywhere. And then the whole thing kind of fizzled. And some of the group went on to do that show Viva Variety on Comedy Central. Yeah. And then another group of us started doing this thing, Stella, which was just an outgrowth of us being part of the alternative stand-up comedy scene in New York where we would do comedy that wasn't really stand-up. And we wanted to host a show that was kind of a fun dress-up night out at this retro-type club called Fez in New York. And we wanted to wear suits and have martinis and have – it was sort of in the swingers era (laughs) – the, the, the kind of like the lounge culture revival. I don't know. And right. uh, so that's how that whole thing started. And just the three of us, Michael Showalter, Michael Black, and I would host this show and do our own little bits and um, have comedians and had a live band with us. And it was a really fun weekly show. And about in the second year of it, we just started making these little tapes to go with it. We would shoot the day of or the day before just for fun, like really just running around like goofy little kids just doing whatever came to mind. And the little tapes became very popular and we started passing them out on VHS and eventually on DVD and eventually they went on the internet and um, the shorts became, took on a life of their own in a way. And then that eventually led to us being able to do a series on Comedy Central, which was loosely inspired by the, what we were doing in the shorts. And you got, uh, you got Sam Rockwell for one of those. Yes, that, that he, was he was the uh, the mustache dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I, he was a pizza delivery boy. Oh, that was in the yeah. He was the mustache dealer on the TV show and the pizza delivery boy in the shorts. In the short, yeah. The shorts I, I, are like these like very dirty R R slash X rated sketches, uh, whereas the show was much more like suitable for television, <laughs> but more ambitious yeah. in other ways. I uh, I was I was looking through the archives and Sam Rockwell stood out to me because I love him as an actor. Oh, he's incredible! Totally and amazing. There's the new w- there's a new movie he's in actually called Laggies, which is coming out I think this month, and he is phenomenal in it. Laggies. It's with um, Lynn Shelton is the director, uh, and it was at Sundance, and it's uh, it's with Kira Knightley also, and it's great. I will uh, I will IMDb that. Good. That will be awesome. All right, so let me tell you real quick. Back in college, I had a club. Mm-hmm. We started a club and we got it on the roster just because we needed something to put on our resumes. Yeah. And we didn't put the name of the club on our resumes. We just wanted to say that we were founders of a club. Uh-huh, okay. And it was, called the, it was called the Verbal Masturbators Club. <laughs> and we would literally sit around and just debate with no formality Right. We would just debate like political structures and and religious beliefs and things that were for a bunch of like like we won't say the word cocaine, but for a bunch of really uh <laughs> intense individuals. Yeah. 
it was a fun time on like Thursday nights. But and, uh, and was it? Were you having serious debates, or were like faux serious, or they were pretty serious. Like, and, and they even got heated sometimes. That's like, kind of awesome. Did anyone ever record them? Uh, no. And I was going to say we should have made shorts out of them. Yeah, it could have gone somewhere. Your life but... could have been a whole different thing. <laughs> Who knows? It, it it was a fun time though. It was fun. But we uh, we did not spawn any MTV related uh, shows. So, but then you wouldn't have been able to live in a nice house somewhere in Minnesota. That would have been. I, I'm jealous of that. How'd you know I live in somewhere? Because I had a sense. Yeah, and I'm a fan. I get I give off that vibe. Yeah. Um. Okay. So let's see. We get to we get to Stella, and then you start working on movies. Or was there space in between there? Uh, things sort of overlap, but no, yeah, well, during the early stages of doing the Stella live show, which was many years before the TV show, uh, Michael Showalter and I started writing, uh, one movie, which we didn't make, and then we, we did, we started writing Wet Hot American Summer in about 97, uh, just as the state was falling apart, and then we didn't get to shoot it until 2000, it took three years to get the money together. Meanwhile, in the meantime, I came to L.A. for a, a short-lived stint being a writer on Mad TV, which, which I hated. Um, but basically, we made, I made a decision somewhere around 99 or something that I'm just going to put blinders on and get this movie made. I want to make an independent film, and I'm not going to stop until it gets done somehow. And so that's... That would became my goal, and then so we shot that in two thousand, and it came out in two thousand one. That, that wet hot. That American was wet hot summer. American summer, which was a summer camp movie, which was my first movie. And okay, it was a great experience. Uh, I don't know if you want to dwell on it or not, but what did you? What What was it you hated at Mad TV? Was it writing or the you show? Know, I think it was that I had just not long before at all been doing the state for years, you know, both starting in college and then all the way through doing it on MTV. And the state was such a, you know, ensemble effort. It was the, the 11 of us. We wrote everything. We directed it. We edited it. We produced the show. We, the group was everything, you know, and on M, on mad TV, it was a perfectly fine sketch show, but it was a totally different thing. It was like, here's the writers in one room, and here's the producers over here, and the cast is over there. And like, it was much more structured in the way that it worked like that, and the priorities were very different. And also, it was my first real job in Los Angeles, and it just the whole thing was just like yuck to me. I, not, nothing, the people were very nice and talented and stuff. It just, for me, it just was a, not a fit. I did not feel like I could sit in a cubicle like churning out sketches for these people I didn't really know and you know it just didn't work for yeah. me. And 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 Phil Lamar who's this great actor who was on the show at the time came up to me and you know he was a fan of I'd known him over the years when he was a fan of well, the state and stuff and he came up to me he's like dude what are you doing here? <laughs> and right at that moment I was 7 weeks into the job I'll never forget and I was like you're, you're right. What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> and I, I think I walked right into the producer's office right then. I'm like, dude, I, and this, I gotta, you gotta let me out of my contract. This is not for me. And he was like, fine. <laughs> so would you classify yourself as uh, a more independent, uh, like you, you prefer working on your own projects to working within the confines of a structure like that? 
Yes. I, I think I've always, I think I, that was my, one of my biggest moments of learning that about myself was that I would much rather be in some, you know, leadership position on whatever I'm doing versus being a piece of the puzzle, even if it means that I'm doing smaller things or whatever. I just, I like to, for better or worse, I just, I gravitate towards being more in charge of things. However, I do love being, I love the change of pace of like occasionally I'll have an acting role in something and it's completely the opposite where I'm just doing my little job and I'm not in charge of it and it's not my problem. And I love that change of pace, but for the major things I work on, I, it's, it's just my personality, I guess. The, I just like is the divider there is to me, acting and writing are, are very different pursuits. Well, yes, they are. Of so, course. well, the question is, do you, it, when it comes to things where you are performing, is it easier to be part of an established machine at that point? But if you're creating, you, you prefer to, to take full control. I guess so. In a weird way, it's almost, it's more about the time commitment or the level of commitment versus the, the job description. I feel like I'm, happy to work as a writer for hire or director for hire, which I've done a little bit, uh, or an actor for hire if it's like for a limited time period and it's like a specific thing. Um, but if, if, you know, if it's my ongoing job that's taking me months and months or years and years, then I don't think I'd be satisfied or happy not being involved in the, the whole of the project from beginning to end. You know, it's just, I like to, gotcha. one of my great rewards of having this, job, which is many, is that I get to be involved in something from the initial conception all the way to the final delivery. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Very lucky. Right. I, I, I would consider myself lucky in your position as well. Thank you. I am going to take <laughs> a quick sponsor break. I'm excited. And then we'll find out what happens next. Okay. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own, uh, your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free <laughs> for a free trial and ten percent off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Brett sent me. That's Brett with two T's. Uh, Squarespace makes it simple and easy to create a beautiful design for your custom website using a drag and drop interface. They also make it easy to get help with twenty four seven support through live chat and email, so you never have to pick up a phone. Located in New York City, Dublin, and Portland now, you can reach Squarespace support at any time you need, uh, no matter where you are in the world. Plans start at $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Their templates include responsive design, and every site comes with an online store. Get started with your free trial, no credit card required, and start building your website today. When you sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code Brett sent me again, two T's, uh, to get 10% off and show your support for Systematic. All right, so... I'm a satisfied customer of Squarespace. Are you? Is yeah, that where davidwayne.com is? Yeah. I've uh, found it to be very uh, stress-free way to have a website. And your site looks gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like your... You have a very recognizable uh, brow line and 
eyes. I think even without your glasses, I might recognize just that portion of your face. My whole family has exactly the same. <laughs> it's it's like terrifying. You, you it's look, the Wayne eyes. It's those way the sort of like deep set, you know, tired looking <laughs> eyes. <laughs> I love it. That's why um, I would definitely wear glasses whether I needed them or not. <laughs> All right. So so you put out Wet Hot American Summer. Yep. I would and say it, I like pooped it out. But it does well. No, that it, is not true. No? It, uh, let me give you some numbers, which are no secret. The movie cost $1.8 million to make, which even at the time was not a lot. The uh, worldwide theatrical gross for the movie was under 300000 Really? Um, however, then it came out on DVD still didn't do that great but started to build in year 2 3 4 5 6 7 to the point where by the time we get to now even though I don't think it's I've still never made money on it but it's certainly become this incredibly well regarded increasingly ever the more widely seen uh movie that you know, many people have said is their favorite movie or is a touchstone yes, for them. I hear or that regularly. A litmus test for friends or a litmus test for a sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, I've heard some really uh, superlative things that people say about it, and I love it too. And I, I do think it, you know, it's one of those things where now it's been, I feel like all the cells in my body have been replaced twice since I made it. So I can <laughs> look at it from distance and say, yeah, it is really funny. <laughs> it's, it's, that's interesting. So there's a, there's a, a distinct line between, well-regarded and successful in oh. Hollywood then. And, oh, yes. <laughs> I am the poster boy of that. I feel, you know, my, um, there's a joke my dad always is like, people are like, your son is so successful, congratulations. And he says to them, great, can you send him five bucks? Like, <laughs> um, Yeah, it's been uh, interesting. I've, I've uh, yeah, I, I have not cashed in. Oh, okay. So what happens after Wet Hot American Summer? Uh, that was actually in the middle of what was like a pretty dry period, weirdly, because the movie was, was, you know, I, it took me a year and a half to make, and I made almost no money in salary on it. And, and it, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tough time financially for me. And after Wet Hot American Summer, Show Walter and I, wrote this new other script they came together which took a, which we didn't make till 12 years after that and we also worked on a million other pitches and developed projects for other shows and tried to get stuff done and nothing really came together and I just kept hitting the wall kind of and going back and forth to Los Angeles trying to get stuff going and meanwhile we were still doing Stella every week um, at the at the nightclub in New York and that was good, but it was it certainly wasn't enough to make a living. So it was a it was a pretty tough time for a few years. And then in late two thousand four, finally we got the opportunity to make the pilot of Stella on Comedy Central, which was finally picked up for a series and we shot that in the summer of oh five. And that's when things started to get busier for me, kind of since then, honestly, knock on wood. <laughs> you actually knocked on wood. Well, it's like a Formica <laughs> Uh, imitation, <laughs> you know, cheap rental desk here at the uh, office here. The, I've seen in Minnesota people knock on their elbows when they say that. 
That's weird. It is really weird. <laughs> I have no idea what to make of that. Um, Maybe they have wooden elbows, but I don't want to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go too far, and because they might be Stepford wives. It it is Minnesota, though. Yeah. Have you ever been to Minnesota? I have. Well, I the first thing that comes to mind is I took a trip across the country, and I remember when I was in my early twenties, and I remember stopping in Minneapolis, and had this very strong sense of why do I live in New York when you can live somewhere that's like this, that's beautiful and has lakes and space. And uh, It was summer. It was summer, yeah, it was summer. <laughs> uh, so there, that, that's my biggest memory of Minnesota. That is, that is why I'm still here, though. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? It, it is beautiful and it is spacious. And in most parts of the state, even in Minneapolis, you could find parking when you really need it. Do you get out in the winter to go somewhere warmer at it for any amount of time? <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I have a fireplace though. Yeah, but I mean, don't you ever want to go and sit like on the beach or something? Oh yes. Oh yeah. yes. Right. I, I I made the mistake. We 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 planned a vacation last winter, like early January, and I, we went to California. But I made the mistake of making most of our accommodations in San Francisco. Oh. Which in January is nothing like California. Well, it's just a different – it's like another country. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's a nine-hour drive from here. <laughs> and it's cold. Yeah. It's like 30 degrees. No, you're crazy. It was negative 30 at home, but still it was not as warm as in my head California was going to be. No, you got to go to like Long Beach or San Diego. Yeah. And, just, yeah. You know. and that's, it's funny because I, I go to San Francisco at least two times a year. Yeah. And I should have known better. Yeah, what's wrong but with I, you? What's wrong with I, you, Brett? I, I, I lapse of judgment. How far is it to, from you to the airport? Two hours and twenty minutes. <gasps> <laughs> so just going—you can't just like jaunt very easily somewhere for a day or something. Right, right. No, and and I went and I interviewed uh, yesterday with a large corporation that is headquartered in Minneapolis, and the whole time I was thinking about. What if I relocated to Minneapolis and I was 20 minutes from the airport and I had all these, you know, great restaurants and everything at my fingertips. And the uh, I went through a thing like what you described earlier with Mad TV where yeah. I realized that that corporate world just was not going to be a fit for me. Yeah, interesting. So, I, I think I could still move to Minneapolis. I can work from anywhere, but the big so trick cheap. in life, though, is yeah, figuring out what your deal, what your niche is. You know, like and I, I always, I always remember, I was an intern actually at David Letterman's previous show, Late Night with David Letterman on NBC, when I was twenty years old in nineteen ninety, and I remember just studying his whole deal and realized, you know, he was a stand-up for years, doing okay, but once he figured out really what his thing was, then he soared. You know, and yeah, that's you know, John Stewart, same thing. And you're going to be John Stewart then? I don't, I don't know. If that, I am. Sh- that show you wrote it, you watch it. We did on MTV was hosted by John Stewart. It was his first job and our first job. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking back to like uh, uh, Hardwick uh, doing uh, what right. was that dating show he did? You mean um, oh Chris Hardwick and uh, Singled Out? Was that what it was? Yes, yeah. that's exactly what Jenny I'm talking McCarthy. About. Yeah. There are and second that, acts in this life. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's got At Midnight, which will probably never be as wildly popular as The Daily Show. Maybe not as The Daily Show, but certainly has outshined but as, singled out. As, yeah. 
<laughs> as far as improv on today's television landscape goes, yeah, it's actually really good. I love that show. It's. I mean, I, I can't say I've watched it that much, but I just like the whole idea. But you've it. been on it. I have been on it. That it's counts just, for something. I mean, it's just a fun way to be basically say, like, how do we deliver a zillion jokes in a half an hour? Exactly. And yeah. how, do we, how do we showcase a million comedians in the course of three months? Yeah, I think it's really a pretty smart idea. And I also just like the idea that it's sort of a game show, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you all get a thousand points. Right. <laughs> points. Yeah. All it's right. Cool. Um, Except, of course, you still get competitive. You, uh, when you're on it, you're still like, no, I, I want to win. I want to win. <laughs> Human nature. Yeah. It's you amazing. Didn't win, did you? The, uh, no, I think Michaela Watkins won. But the, the nature of hum- that competitive spirit that, that jumps in no matter what is amazing. Like, I, I did a, a 10K or a 5K run or something recently. 10K, 5K. Or I don't something. remember. Let's just, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it a 10K. But I remember thinking, like, I run this all the time. It's going to be easy. I'm just going to take it. Who cares? It's just for fun. And the minute the gun went off, I started sprinting because I'm like, I don't want the goddamn kid, to, that little 10-year-old in front of me to beat me. And I was, you know, <laughs> so mad. And I ended up almost throwing up at the end because I probably ran it twice as fast as I normally would and still came in like But you finished it at a sprint. I finished it, but I also, A, was very sick, and B, didn't come even in the top, like, 500 people. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, I can relate to that. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I have made the mistake. I used to actually run track, and they would have us run with the cross-country team Whoa. for endurance exercises. And I would, by default, start out at a sprint, and I would die after, like, two miles. Does anyone do shot put just for, like, as an adult recreational activity? <laughs> I don't think so. Just like, hey, you guys want to get together and throw the old shot put? <laughs> Are you wondering if that's a useful life skill in any way? Yeah, like a lifetime sport like, or just a social sport. <laughs> it's a good way to throw your back. Head over to the club. Maybe do a little <laughs> pole vaulting. <laughs> there's a, a little luge. There's a pole vaulter. What's her name? Uh, I can't remember. Like starting in high school, she she changed the face of pole vaulting. She made it something that like beautiful college or beautiful high school seniors could do without being ridiculed. Changing the face of pole vaulting is a relatively small <laughs> accomplishment in, in the large scheme of things. This is why I can't remember her name. <laughs> but saying, uh, like he ch- she changed the face of green olives. <laughs> Great. Good for her. Yeah. Yes. Uh, put it on the resume. She'll get a when she dies. She'll get a quarter of a page in the local community paper. Ah, that's harsh. I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. she'll live a long life, and it's not even something to think about for a long time. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so where are we now? Like you're you're in you're my on in a my trajectory. in my this is your life uh, journey. Yeah, kind of. So okay. Well, we did the. Um, so we did that TV show, Stella, on Comedy Central, which was really fun and grueling summer of 2005. And it, of course, in a, in a pattern that is starting to develop, you can probably see, uh, tanked. Um, nobody watched it, and it was uh, canceled after the first season. Um, but it had its core devoted fans, um, which pretty much sums up a lot of what I did have done over the years. Um, 
So what, did, what happened after that? We just, I, I just kept moving on at that point and just trying to do as many projects as I could and get whatever I could going. And uh, the next big thing was that Ken Marino and I got sort of locked ourselves in the room and forced ourselves to write a screenplay in a week. And we emerged with this thing called The Ten, which was ten different stories, all each one inspired by one of the Ten Commandments. Oh, yeah. And um, we, I also uh, produced this movie that Ken wrote right before that called Diggers, which was shot at the same time as Stella, so I couldn't be on set for that. But we, um, we did this movie, The Ten, which, which I, I, is highly, highly underseen. Like no, very, very few people have heard of it or seen it, but I think is equally as funny as anything I've ever done for my taste. And um, it, it had this amazing cast with Liev Schreiber and uh, Winona Ryder and Gretchen Maul and uh, Paul Rudd. And we um, put that out uh, as an independent release and went to Sundance with that as well, and it tanked. And again, back to the drawing board. And then somewhere around there, Paul Rudd was doing this movie called Big Brothers uh, as a big studio movie with Sean William Scott at um, Universal. And the, they lost the director six weeks before the shooting was starting and they didn't know what to do and the script was sort of a mess and not ready and way too long and what are we going to do? And so as a kind of a Hail Mary somehow I got the job to come in and, and direct this movie. And um, I sat with Ken Marino and uh, Paul Rudd for six weeks while doing all the prep and pre-production that you do for a movie, which is itself like a double-time job, while also rewriting the script from scratch and trying to figure out a whole new way of telling the story and layering in our sensibility. And that, that, that finally got shot, and that would turn the, change the title to Role Models, and that became um, that went really well, and that became the certainly the most financially successful thing I've done. That's what Wikipedia says about you too. Well, I, I probably wrote it one drunken one night <laughs> <laughs> years ago. So, where does Paul Rudd fit into the scheme of your career? Like, where did you meet him? I met him because uh, Michael Showalter and. Joe Luchulio and I wrote this play in 1999 called Sex, a.k.a. Wieners and Boobs, which we also did sort of on a dare, like this theater company in New York wanted us to uh, wanted us to do like a comedy night because one of their plays in a play festival fell apart and they just wanted somebody to, in, like, in four days to put together some comedians and do a comedy night. And we thought, no, it's a play festival. We're going to write a play and put it up. And so we spent two days writing a play and two days casting it and rehearsing it. And it was this, this whole story called Sex, a.k.a. Wieners and Boobs. And um, that has actually gone on to have this life. And it's been produced around the country many, many times, believe it or not. <laughs> and um, we, uh, Paul Rudd, I think, came to see that because uh, our friend Zach Orth was also in the play. And he had worked with Paul Rudd on... Romeo and Juliet, and uh, Paul really got a kick out of the kind of comedy we were doing, and we got to know him a little bit, but then I really got to know him and work with him when he agreed to be in Wet Hot American Summer and subsequently agreed to be in every movie since then. <laughs> yes. Um, did you know that when you say wieners and boobs, you sound like Michael Showalter? I uh, didn't know that, but I'm not surprised because I spent so, many, so much time with the dude over the years. 
That's there's, there's just <laughs> do, you, do you guys come from like the same locale? He's from Princeton, New Jersey, and I'm from Shaker Heights, Ohio. Okay, so no, but we came from similar. We definitely, you know, we're simpatico in many ways, which is why we, you know, we work together a lot. I think in the way we grew up, particularly, and we were both sort of, you know, well liked but not exactly popular kids growing up that you know had a certain outsider complex um and uh we went to summer camp and so on and so we we had a lot of commonality interesting wieners yeah. and boobs wieners and boobs all right so you can all this- you can read it online i think it's on playscripts.com i think it's called i i have uh, i have made a bookmark <laughs> to to link that in the show notes um all right, so we get up role models then is it's financially successful. It it may not be as well regarded as what had American summaries right now. Yeah, well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, the the, the truth is that even with you know, it, it depends on your point of perspective. Still to this day, I would say a hundred more pe- times more people have seen role models versus what had American summer. You know, role models was have like full seen blown. it. Have seen it and well, you know, role models also got pretty great reviews and well, know, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not criticizing, and I'm not, and I'm not all. defending it either. Believe me, <laughs> I'm just saying when it comes, to, if if I, if it's I'm more of a mainstream people, thing, right? Yeah, it has less of the cult kind of appeal to it, right? It's and, true, uh, but but it made you money. Well, it didn't make me any money. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I made a salary from it, which was more than I'd made on anything else, but it was. I wasn't a producer on it, and so I didn't make any money on it. But it was, um, it was itself, and it wasn't a huge hit either. But it was like a medium, you know. It did well enough to make the studio happy, and so on. And so that was the best moment for me from a purely financial commercial perspective. And then I did get some offers from other things after that, but I I turned them down because, as we were saying earlier, I just tend to make choices based on what I want to do and people I want to work with and less so on what's going to probably benefit my career. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I um, 100% relate. And so, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it, it was that thing. I, you know, people would send me scripts after, you know, like you liked, you know, the, categorizing me as like the gross out comedy guy or something as if, you know, I don't know. And I would read these scripts and they were so painful and I would just say, I know maybe it would be a good idea, but I just can't do it. I'm so sorry. And um, so, but what, so Ken Marino and I wrote our own uh, script. Um, again, we went into a room and locked ourselves in the room and just came out after a week with a, with a script. And that, that was the next one, uh, which was Wanderlust. But in between that, I did Wainy Days, the web series, and I did Children's Hospital, the first couple seasons of that, I think. Um, and so, yeah, I just started overlapping and getting busy and doing a lot of different things at that time, which was really great. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I have one more question before, before I jump you into top picks. Yeah. Yeah. How are you just naturally a busy body or do you have to, you, you do a lot at once and you always have something going? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. I mean, 
part of it is that I'm doing more than I want actually for for years now, and I'm. It's hard to keep the balance because you never know when you're actually going to run out of work and income because it's, it's so unpredictable, you yeah. know. Um, but then when a lot of things go well, then you're way overloaded and slammed and hard to balance with the rest of your life. And I have kids now and everything. So it's, it's hard. I'm not like people have said to me, like, you're so productive. You're getting so many things done. How do you do it? And I'm like, it's super hard. That's how it's like not fun a lot of the time. Cause it's, I'm working. It's so hard to balance everything, which I know is a first word problem, but that's, that is one of my big problems is just managing my time. And I will say, not to get too techy, but I don't I could not do this without computers and like the things that my tools that I use to keep myself sane in the, in that regard. Like I just would absolutely fall apart if I didn't have very serious task and time management like systems that I've worked out over the years. Have you ever thought about what you would be in a world without computers? Like what if computers had never existed? Like for me, I, I think I would be like a, a tinkerer. I would be like making things out of wood and metals that that did cool stuff. That's as far as I can go in right. that, that imaginary realm. I mean, I could say that I, I mean, I would be involved in the similar kinds of things, but I would probably be one of those guys that had one of those. And I was this guy in, as a kid. I had like have one of those big organizer books that had all these little, <laughs> you know, cards that you put in slots and, you know, move them around and. You know, those weird, you know, with pockets and tabs and <laughs> something like that. And I would carry it around everywhere and I would break my back carrying around all these notebooks and stuff, I guess. Those are uh, those were always attractive to me as a child, too. And I think that can only be said of a very small portion of the population. Oh my, well, yeah, I was always into my trapper keeper, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I, never, I never made great use of my, like, multi-tabbed multi-pocketed notebooks. Right. But I loved having them and I loved setting up the systems. Right. I was into graph paper and like, you know, saying this is how, <laughs> you know, my I would put my schedule, you know, three o'clock basketball time, you know, whatever. My friend, my friend Gilbert and I would design in like massive transformer landscapes where like gas pumps would turn into robots and Ooh. we would diagram them all on graph paper. Gas pumps into robots. Is that a is that a can I like can I go buy that today? Or is you, that you, you made can't. that up? Okay. You can't, but you can steal it. All right. Cuz uh, I think you, my kids would ever run into a gas pump. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that would be a great actually, that would be a great horror movie. We would actually model these out of paper and like almost origami where you could like flip the front open and have a, like it transform. You know what would be a great movie is if all the gas pumps realized that they have power in numbers and that they can take over and <laughs> they also that? they also control all the the fuel <laughs> <laughs> what was that truck movie where the cars all became oh it was sentient. called cars cars but not the cartoon cars oh i don't know no there was one where like all the all the vehicles became sentient and like overran humanity Ooh. it was a horrible like 80s movie you don't mean um it was uh, 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 I, I I don't know. There was the was there was one about the one car that was possessed. Herbie? No, no, no. But it was like a <laughs> horror movie. It was called Christopher. I don't remember who. Cares. Someone will write in and tell me later. Yeah. Um. All right. So let's do some top three picks in our last few minutes here. 
Okay. I will let you start. Things that I am interested in these days. Well, I've just started listening and listening and listening back now. It's fun when you discover a podcast that you love and that you en- enough that you actually go to the to the archives. Yeah. And I'm starting to do that with this one called 99% Invisible. Um which it's hard to describe, but it's this guy who basically goes deep into a singular topic each week about either design or certain creative areas. And it's just really interesting, his take. And it's, it's also a very crafted podcast. It's uh, different than most in that it's, it's beautifully presented at, as its work of art on its own kind of. And it's the sound editing is, is really cool. And he creates these soundscapes. And um, one of them that I listened to recently, which was really fascinating, was the topic was how they uh, gather up sounds in sports television over the years um, and the ways that they record the sound, for example, for tennis matches and how they use dozens of microphones and mix them in a certain way and enhance them in a certain way to make to to enhance the drama and the excitement of a tennis match even more than if you're sitting there and so on. Um, so that's 99% invisible. Are you a Radiolab fan? I do like Radiolab. I, that is, that is what has always drawn me to Radiolab is the sound design. Yeah, exactly. And it's something I've always wanted to do. Like it doesn't work with my podcast. I don't have enough interesting things to say to really create sound bridges. Although it would be kind of fun if you just went through and like this conversation that we just had, if you went and edited and put in little sound effects, sound bridges, and just tried to come up with music to accentuate each banal point we're both making. <laughs> That's probably not going to happen, but, uh, but I would love, I would love to have a podcast that did that. So I'm going to, I'll check that out yesterday, because that is a huge thing for me. Parenthetically, yesterday I was listening to This American Life and you, you listen to that, I'm sure, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody listens. And um, you know they have that – there's that one song in the background that's always there where it's it's sort of like do-do-do-do-do-do-do. If you hear – anyone who listens to it would hear this one song. You're like, yes, it's always there. And I was just like, what are all those songs? And so I found, of course, a, a playlist on Spotify, which is <laughs> This American Life background music. And it was so funny kind of to hear all of these songs in full – um, when you're used to hearing only the first five or ten seconds of them. That's awesome. All right. So, okay. So I my picks kind of came together right before we did this, but... Don't make an I, excuse. Just le- just go big. I'm going big. Have you, have, do you ever listen to Tricky? No. Oh, you mean the song I, It's Tricky by Run DMC? No. <laughs> no. The artist Tricky. No. Um, well, up until this point, I actually like the Run DMC song better than the artist Tricky. Mm-hmm. But he has a new album called Adrian Thaws, and it like I gave it a shot. I give it, every every time I see a new album come out that's available on like Spotify, I'll give it a shot. I'll now see wait, what's up. Now wait a second. That would be thousands of times a day. I I. Yeah. No. Okay. Every time an album comes out within a certain realm of my interest. Okay. Okay. And, and tricky falls into like, I like trip hop. Cause I just have to say for me, every single album that gets released, that's available on Spotify, I'll listen to it once through. And so that takes me usually about a month per day. How do you get anything done? I know. 
<laughs> um, sorry. No. But uh, but um, but Adrian Thaw's actually is a really intriguing album that spans a lot of uh, kind of it bends the trip hop genre in, in a lot of different ways. And I like trip hop for working. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm not working in silence, which is 80 percent of the time, I'm usually playing trip hop or I'm playing really noisy like death metal. Now, let's pretend that. For the sake of not me, of course, but the losers in the audience who might not know, how would you define trip hop? I would point everyone to like Portishead, okay, as like the foundation of of trip hop. It's 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 techno, but it's slow, and it often has real drums or sample drums. It's really hard to explain. I would just point everyone to Portishead. That explains it to me, actually. Okay, okay. Secretly, I was the guy who doesn't really know. Yeah, I, 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 no, I wasn't saying. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Um, um, but I'm looking now on Spotify at Tricky, and uh, yes, this looks interesting. It has everything from like gangster rap to slow acoustic pieces, so it's it it it's got something for everyone. I have found that I can't listen to music when I work, which is a bummer because I love music, but it's just I get too wrapped up in it. Yeah, no, like I said, eighty percent of the time I yeah. need silence, just silence, silence or coffee shop. And occasionally I use that app or that we- noise, website. Kinda. Well, there's a website called like Coffee Shop Sound or something. That yeah, yeah, just yeah. Puts on a white a coffee shop din, which helps me. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. Uh, anything with lyrics or that's too interesting, which yeah. is most music to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but this is this is decent. Uh, like for repetitive tasks, when I'm just doing something that I would rather not think too much about. Yeah, totally. That's the that's the time when I I would put on something like this, and I've also been listening to it in my car, which actually is that says something. Well, I might. But anyway, I'm going to listen to it in my car on the way home today. I recommend it. But is the uh, is uh, you're but you're a musician, aren't you? Uh, to some extent, yes. Yeah, and you do. I've I've heard you talk about this stuff, but yeah. Well, maybe that leads into my next pick. Go for it. Which is. I don't know if you know this is a pick, but just something I've been doing a lot, which is I, I dug up an old set from 10 years ago of these Roland V drums, which are the you know electronic drums. Which I had a full set. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, what's interesting is that they still, they've kept making them over the years, and they keep improving them, and they're, now you can get the brand new ones. I've looked into this a lot recently just because I was curious. But they really are basically the same. So, like, you could probably go on eBay and get like the a set from ten years ago, and it'll be pretty much unless you're a pro, like the same deal, you know. They're, and they work pretty damn well, you know, for for a fake drum set. Yeah, and, and you're using these with the built-in sounds as you're playing with them. You can do both, or I I can also plug it into Logic Pro, right, or Logic Ten, and. Uh, then it can it can trigger the the MIDI drum sets, um, but yeah. I have I did that for a while and then I realized uh, I don't even need to do that. And what for me what I've realized is the most fun, and I did this last night for hours, is you can go on YouTube and just search for drumless, and you can hear any song or many 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 songs with the drums taken out, and play along, and you can just plug your iPhone with this simple audio connector into this Roland thing. And now you've got a mix 
between the drumless backing track and the drums you're playing and your headphones, you feel like a rock star. That's awesome. It's pretty damn fun. And, I, and, and of course, here in Los Angeles, it's like 100 degrees in my garage and outside. And so I did this for a couple hours and I came inside and my wife thought I was in the rain because was, I was sopping wet <laughs> with sweat. Yeah, no, I got it. Uh, do you know what the high temperature here for the week is? What? 64. That's weird. Yeah, you're weird. I don't think degrees. I can handle it. I don't think I can handle it. Uh, but so that's but if to turn it into a pick that people can look into, Roland V drums uh, online on eBay. Get them used. Get them old. Yeah, I I had a a whole set, and I don't know what happened to them. I was I was roving and homeless for a while. They were left in a friend's basement, and oh, yeah. everything disappeared. I have two real no, I th- I think three real drum sets that I've owned over the years <laughs> that have all disappeared because I left them at some theater or somebody's house or <laughs> some basement or in pieces in a car somewhere. They're worth a little bit of money, so pawn shops. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, so my second pick is Spillo, which is I use uh, Pinboard.in for bookmarking everything. I don't use like browser bookmarks at all, and Spillo is a great Mac application for uh, Pinboard, and it has shortcuts and browser bookmarklets, and I don't know what else you'd need. I don't understand this. This is a great thing for you to explain to me. Ask me. So. Is it is it the same kind of thing that other people use Pinterest for? Pinterest? No, 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 no. no, no. So this is for you. This is like as a replacement for your bookmarks in your browser. Yes. But, do you remember Delicious? Yes, I do. It's delicious. It's okay. See, but I guess for me, this is where I lose track. I've ne- I never did use Delicious much or any of those because I don't. Like, what would you use it for? Like, I feel like I, when, okay. I, when I need to do something on the internet, I just do it. Right. <laughs> but when, when I'm surfing the internets, I find pages that I know I'm going to want to reference later. And most people would hit Command D in their browser and they would make a bookmark. Right. right. But those bookmarks have no metadata attached to them at all. So a, a six months later, you're right. going to forget it even exists with... With Pinboard, I can put a tag, I can put notes, I can add actual information to a bookmark that makes it findable for me again. Right. And it, and it works on whatever platform, whatever browser I'm in, Pinboard is always there. So Spillo is a Mac app that accesses Pinboard. Correct. And it's S-P-I-L-L-O? Correct. Okay, I'm going to try it out. I know, right. I know you're saying it not just for me, but for the listeners, but I'm going to try it out. I, I I have actually written screeds before about how browser bookmarking is dead and this and, and information hoarding is dead and things like Pinboard allow you to actually create pertinent databases. Of, and what is it like is it is it blogs and stuff or is that separate? That's more of an RSS thing for you. Yeah. A a blog in general is an RSS feed for me. It's when I find a particular piece of information, reference, or even a very poignant personal piece that someone's written. I see. I I will tag it and I will correlate it with other things that are related so that when I'm thinking, what did I want to read about cancer research, you know, six months ago, I can do a dated search and say cancer and, and that, find what I'm looking for. And that is not, that is 
also not overlapping or is it with something like Pocket or Instapaper? It does actually. I use Pinboard instead of Pocket or Instapaper. I and, see. And you can use it. You can use both or you can use Pinboard the same way. You can set things as read later in Pinboard and then Spillo can actually function the way that Pocket or Pin or Instapaper does. And what and at the risk of you having already explained this, how <laughs> how does that how would Spillo bet do better? What is the advantage versus, say, I use Pocket? Well, for me, Pocket functions as, well, exactly what it's supposed to, a read later kind of thing. And that's not what I primarily use Pinboard for. You use it primarily for what the the archive side of it, the the collection. Exactly. But – if I if I do see an article that I just don't have time to dig through this like eight page article at the time, I will mark it read later and then use Pinboard for that. And that'll be one part of your Spillo Pinboard world. Exactly. Okay. But you could also very easily separate the archive and the read later stuff and continue using Pocket. I, I love Pocket. I do. It just got annoying to me to have two different repositories. Well, but then I see, I'm looking now, that Spillo is sort of like your Evernote-esque thing, and then you've got another, rep- oh, God, so many repositories of things. Yeah, and, and to me, like the most, the most important thing about any repository is that it's accessible from any other repository. And if, if, right. if, if something, if a service does not function in a way that I can access, say, a, a unified tag search, I won't use it. Got it. Okay. Okay, so what's your second, third pick? Third pick? Are we on third? Uh, sure. Uh, let's see. Well, this is a simple one, which is tab dump. Okay. Uh, do you know tab dump? I think I could imagine what it does, and I know similar things, but I don't know this particular it's one. It's a no. very simple, low tech thing, which is basically it's it's a very quick uh, little overview of of interesting tech news. And then a little, then the next section is little interesting, uh, regular, you know, general news. And for me, it kind of, it's just a simple, quick, like, here's what's going on in that part of the world that I want to read about, uh, without having to, for me, I don't care enough about that stuff to read through a series of RSS feeds or to go through blog. I really don't do that at all anymore. I don't read blogs and I don't read, I mean, I, I just I'll like flip through my Twitter feed and catch. Who has time? Things. Well, some people do, and that's great. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> but I don't do that. And I, I mean, I I have Flipboard on my phone, and it's like sometimes I just feel like looking through things in a different interface, whatever. But to me, I find that the two minutes it takes to read through Tab Dump every day makes me feel like I'm, you know, I have I'm up enough on what's going on in the tech and general news world enough to feel like I can have a conversation about it. And, I, and then you can, you know, it, there's a, there's an, a dedicated iOS app and there's an Android app and there's, you can just go on the web and it's just a simple, quick, they do it for you. Here's an interesting, and the guy, the guy who puts it together puts just a tiny flavor of his own editorial on it, but it's basically just, here's some stories you need to read and I enjoy it. I love this. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. There there are very few places where you can get this kind of curated exactly news, see what's like actually going to be talked about on Twitter and get 
you know, the latest on Ebola, Brazil, and Ukraine. Exactly. And it's not like, say, whatever, during Fireball or any of those things where it's like two or three things than their opinions. It's more just like, here's like the basic gist of like, I've gone through everything. Here's the kind of the most interesting 20 stories today in one sentence each. Yeah. No, I'm digging this. I'm bookmarking this. You said there's an iOS app too? Yeah. It's, there's actually two iOS apps. The one I use is called opening up my ancient iPhone 5S. <laughs> That's what I, I don't even have a 5S. It's just called Tab Dump. Is the, okay. Is the, is, the, is the iOS app as well. And it's just this, you know, it's an, an app that does exactly the same thing. All right. Awesome. All right. So my last pick is easy and we've already talked about it. I, I'm in love with They Came Together. Oh, and I'm not saying great. that just to flatter you. Like I saw the movie and I, I talked about it. I talked about it with Christina Warren on my other podcast on Overtired. Really? And yeah, because she's a superstar. Yeah, she is. She's awesome. Have you heard that podcast? I have not. Oh, I think Next- I think I have once or twice. But yeah, yeah. It's only it's only been on for twelve episodes, so you haven't missed much. But. Right. Um, but yeah, that movie was to me, like, like I said, like watching all the finite details and the, the attention, like every, every actor in that movie was clearly invested in the vision of lampooning the romantic comedy and everyone played their part. And Paul Rudd was awesome. And, uh, and Amy Poehler was awesome and the writing was great. So yeah, so that's my third pick. Well, a, thank you, and B, since you picked it, I will tell people that you can go to theycametogether.com to learn about all the various ways you can see it. But it's um, the DVD just came out uh, last week, and uh, the DVD or Blu-ray is um, filled with all sorts of fun extras. Like there's, I think, 32 deleted scenes, and there's commentary, and you can see the original uh, table read we did that kind of got, a, got it made uh, with a different cast at the San Francisco sketch fest. And, uh, there's a com- there's all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Linked. Link it up. All right. Well, that's the end of the show. You can be found on Twitter at David Wayne. W a I N. Correct. You knew that. And, uh, <laughs> and the website, David That's true. Anywhere else you want to, uh, uh, they came together.com, obviously. And anywhere um, else you want to mention? I mean, there's Instagram, David Wayne as well. Is there anywhere you're not David Wayne? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> then, then, then we will just link everything slash David Wayne. Um, oh, there's, there's, um, on certain websites, I'm a big package meat man, but, uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. Actually, you know, forget that part. Forget that part. Forgotten. Yeah. All right. Uh, All Brett, right. always a pleasure. Uh, I, well, you didn't even let me say thank you. Oh, oh, sorry. Hey, David, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it, it has been great. I, I very much enjoyed this episode. Um, me too. And when are we getting some some sort of update or follow-up from NVLT? There is honestly a release that is so close. We pulled it back because we wanted to uh, update the uh, finder tagging in it. Okay. We're, we're transitioning from open meta to finder tagging, and we want to make sure that's smooth for everybody. As soon as we have that nailed down, that release is out the door. I find that I don't need the, I just do the, the sort of organic tagging of that within the text. Yeah, and so do I, but this is, this is something I wanted to make sure we had nailed down so we didn't screw anybody over. All right. Well, I use it all day, every day, so let's go. 
<laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Very All right. good. Well, thanks again, and uh, we will see everybody in a week. Stay tuned. Bye.